Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. You and I know that sometimes things happen in a relationship that cause a strain in that relationship. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Consider the following scenario. Your teenage child, years ago, your teenage child made a decision and did something wrong. You know they did something wrong. You know it's a fact. It's not fiction. And you confront them with it and they lie to you, denying that it ever happened. But you know it did. Eventually, the truth is found out, and they are left to deal with the consequences of that decision that they made. Now, you love your child, but something has strained that relationship. Can you ever trust that child again? Tell the truth. Can you trust that child again to do what's right? And when will that trust be restored to you? And that little scenario plays itself out in every relationship in life. If an accountant fudges the books in one place, can the owner, can a person trust him to keep honest in other areas? If a student cheats on a test at school, can that student be trusted with future exams? If a person lies about his sales, can he be trusted with a major account in the future? You see, sin affects relationships. Sin affects our relationships with others, and guess what? Sin affects our relationship with God. It affects our ability to have that communion with Him. In essence, sin causes us to fall out of favor with God. Because God cares for His people, because God loves His people, He confronts them with their sin. He confronts them with the errors of the ways. And He wants them to know that your sin calls that you're a sinner in my eyes. You're a sinner. In my eyes, you are in rebellion to me. Now, He may do that several ways. He may do that through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He may use another believer to confront you with the error of your ways, or he may remove, uh, remove you from those things that you depend upon to bring you happiness and satisfaction. All these are designed to bring you back into a loving relationship, to bring you back into a trusting relationship with God. This morning we continue in our series on Hosea entitled, God's Amazing Love. I want you to know something before I get into this passage. God loves you. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God. But sometimes you can disappoint your father. Sometimes you can fall out of favor with him. So I I wanted you to know that right up front. We're going to look at Hosea chapter 2, starting at verse 2 all the way through the passage. And we'll look at these words, how to fall out of of God's favor. Now, my hope in looking at this passage is not that you will fall out of God's favor, 
but that we can learn from the example of Israel, from the example of Gomer, and not make the same mistakes. That we won't do what they did, and by so doing, fall out of the favor of God. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage. It's rather lengthy, and it has some language in it that I would just soon avoid uh, and have to sit there and explain everything to you. Instead, I'm just going to pull out some central ideas, some central passages of Scripture, and try to deal with it in that way to help us understand what's going on in this passage. We're going to look at it under the heading, How to Fall Out of God's Favor. First, we fall out of God's favor when He is not first in our lives. At the time of Hosea's preaching, as we learned in, in week two, Israel had not yet been sent into exile. Israel had not yet suffered uh, for their disobedience. In verse two, he says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife. Uh, at first, it looks like he's talking about Gomer, but when you begin to examine the passage of Scripture, he's really talking about the people of Israel. He's talking about them and their open rebellion. He's saying she needs to change her ways. And in both relationships, Israel and Gomer, they were the guilty party. God was not guilty. Hosea was not guilty. It was the Israelite people and Gomer who were the guilty party. And, and she had made this choice of pursuing other relationships, of pursuing other lovers. And it was persistent. She was persistent in her unfaithfulness to Gomer as well as the children of Israel being persistent in their unfaithfulness to God. In verse 2, he says, I am not, she is not my wife and I am not her husband. It's the same thing that God said through the naming of the third child of, of Hosea and of Hosea or Gomer when he said, you are not my people and I'm not your God. I don't recognize you. I don't understand what's going on here. What had Israel done to, to, to fall out of God's favor? God loved them, but something had caused them to fall out of God's favor. In verse 5, he, he begins to use her own words against, look at verse 5. He says, their mother has been unfaithful and his conceit, and his, no, I'm sorry, the next part. She said, I will go after my lovers. She pursues other relationships. She goes after these relationships. This is an individual, this is an adulterer, this is a prostitute who pursues her customers. She doesn't sit on the street corner waiting for them to come to her. She pursues these individuals. She chases after these individuals. Uh, she's not enticed. She's not allured. She's not seduced. She pursues them. And so Israel turns to other gods, and her turning to other gods is blatant, it's bold, and it's willful. Now, in the context of Hosea, the god they presume was the god of Baal, which really wasn't a god, but it was a, a god, and it was known as the fertility god. So they were going to the god of Baal to bless their harvest, to bless their agricultural society. This is what they were doing in that situation. And Israel pursues her lovers because she believed that her lovers could do a better job of meeting her needs than God could. And as you look through verse 5, it says, it's, first, it's, 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 it's nourishment. It's those things that, that was it's just food and water. It's the basic nourishments that we needed. It also talks about uh, food. It talk, uh, talks about uh, linen and wool. It talks about the basic needs of clothing. And then it goes on and talks about oil and drink, which means the luxuries of a good life. 
In other words, Baal provides everything that they need to live. It provides us nourishment. It provides our basic needs. It even provides the luxuries of life. But there's a greater implication in this verse. When you really begin to analyze it, you can see what the heart of the problem is. I want you to read it again. I want you to look at the possessive pronouns in them. I've highlighted them for you. I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Here you see the heart of the problem when we consider what's going on with her. Her motive is one. She's looking for the reward that she could earn. This is mine. That's what she wants. Everything is about her and about what she wants and what she desires. Listen, are we any different? Stop and think about it for a moment. We oftentimes put our lives, we put our pursuits, and we put our dreams before we do God. We do the exact same thing that Israel did in the old. We, we are materialistic. We, 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 we are looking out for ourselves. One of the things we learned yesterday at Secret Church is, the, is how false the prosperity gospel is. And it is growing rapidly around the world. And basically the prosperity gospel is because you are God's child, He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you're not healthy, if you're not wealthy, and if you're not wise, it's because you're, you're a sinner and you don't have a relationship with God. I even read from, and I don't normally quote other people, well, I'll, Joel Osteen, I'm not a big fan of Joel, but uh, he's probably not a big fan of me either. <laughs> so uh, feelings are mutual. Uh, but he actually said, and, and I wanted, I, can, I, can I say, I wanted to give him a holy slap. Uh, can I say that? Because he was talking about Alzheimer's. And many of you know my dad has Alzheimer's. Matter of fact, my father-in-law has Alzheimer's. And he said in there, he said, if you have Alzheimer's, it's because you don't have enough faith in God. You need to tell, he said, you need to, you need to keep constant yourself, tell, tell yourself, my mind is sharp. My mind is brilliant, and you can overcome Alzheimer's. We pursue other things in life, looking out for ourselves. And what we're doing is we're putting things, ideas, dreams in the place of God. What it means is God is not first in our lives. We love Him, but He's not priority. He's not first in our lives. The Israelites were guilty of pursuing their own interests and had relegated God to second place in life. In essence, what Israel had done, it broke the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. In essence, that's what they've done. In essence, that's what we do every day, my friends, is we put somebody else in a place that is only reserved for God. God wants first place in your life, not second, not third, not fourth. He wants to be first in your life. And because they had broken that commandment, they fell out of God's favor. Now, God still loved them. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. He loved them, but they fell out of His favor. And so we look at verse 6. He goes, therefore, 
Every time you see that therefore, go back and see what it's there for. Why is it there? God is saying, therefore, because of this, I'm going to punish them. What does he say? He said, therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. God is saying, I'm going to make it difficult for Israel to find happiness. I'm going to make it difficult for Israel to find contentment. I'm going to make it difficult for Israel to find satisfaction in life. The first one you see is it's going to cause pain and suffering. Just going through the thorn bush is going to cause hurt upon the life. And the next obstacle is to stop them in their track. Now, ultimately, he's talking about the, uh, when they're in captivity. But the point that God is doing is, is I'm going to do this because I'm trying to bring you into reality. I'm trying to help you understand that I will be first in your life. And, and I'm trying to help them understand that is what God is trying to say through Isaiah. God loved Israel. Even though they had turned against him. Even though that, that they were not first. He was not first in their life. Listen, God has not changed. He still wants to be number one in your life. He still wants to be first in your life. So my challenge is to you, examine your own life. What are your priorities? What are, your, what are the things that you put first in your life? And listen, folks, if God ain't it, guess what? You're rebelling against God, and you're, you're, not, you're not in God's favor because He's not first in your life. The minute He's not first in your life, He's no longer Lord of your life. He's your Savior, and He loves you. But you strayed away from God's plan and God's purpose. Perhaps you cannot find true contentment. Perhaps you can't find true happiness because you're looking in all the wrong places for that. Israel doesn't get the message. They don't get it. Second, we fall out of God's favor when we fail to understand we see this in verses 7 through 9. Look at verse 7. She would chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She would look for them, but not find them. She's been walled off, but she keeps looking. Things are not going the way she thought they should go. Things are not going the way that Israel hoped they would go, so she becomes desperate Frustration begins to set in. Unhappiness begins to set in. And they do not understand what's going on. Why can't we find happiness? Why can't we find contentment? Why can't we, why can't we, we find all these things? And the verse depicts, look at this, she will look for them. That word look it, it implies an endless search. They look here, they look there, they look everywhere. And, and they're looking for all those things that will provide happiness and satisfaction and contentment in their life. And they can't find it. And finally, when their search for these other gods becomes fruitless, the people reverse their earlier commitment of running from God. Look at what it says in chapter 7, the last part. Then, after she can't find happiness, after she can't find contentment, after she can't find what she's looking for, then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first. For then, I was better off than now. I want you to hear what she's saying. She's not coming back because she loves her husband. She's coming back because it was better before. Does that story sound familiar? Think about it. It's the same story that Jesus tells in the New Testament of the prodigal son. You know the story. The prodigal son says, Dad, give me my inheritance. So the father, because he loves his son, he gives him his inheritance. 
And the younger son runs away, and he spends his, all of his inheritance on wine, women, and song. The pursuit of happiness, of luxuries, of everything, contentment in his life. And finally, when he's, when he's slopping the pigs in the pigsty, he finally comes to realization. It says he comes to his senses, and this is what he says, in my my father's men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. In other words, it was better off in my father's house than it is now. He didn't say he loved his father. He said, I'm going back to my father because my dad will take care of me. My dad will provide for me. My dad will meet my needs. It was the same way with the people of Israel. They would go back to God. Okay, God would take care of us. God will meet our needs. But they did not understand God's love for them. Look at verse 8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Here's the thing is, God had blessed them, God had blessed them, God had blessed them. And they turned around and took what God had blessed them with and used it to give to another God. He said, they don't understand. They don't get it. So God responds to them. Even though they were returning to God for the wrong reasons, He still loved them enough to take them back. He still cared for them. Now, he's still going to punish them for their unfaithfulness because God knew their hearts. He knew what was going on. Look at what He says in verse 9. Therefore, Another therefore, I will take away my grain. I notice what he's saying here. I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take away my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. You know what God's doing? He's doing the exact opposite of what Israel said in verse 5. They were saying this is all mine, mine, mine. God says, no, it's mine. Everything is mine and I'm giving it to you for your benefit, for your joy, for, for, your, for your happiness, I'm giving you these things, but you in turn are taking everything that I've given to you and you're using it for wrong purposes, is what he's saying. God is saying, listen, I love you, but you are going to return on my terms, not your terms. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot do that. I had years ago... My best friend was my cousin. We grew up together. We were almost like brothers. And him and his wife were going through a, a terrible time. I won't get into all the details of that. Was going through a terrible time. His young son was in the hospital. They could not find out what was wrong with his son. He basically paralyzed. They could not find out what was wrong with the son. They were separated in their marriage. And so my son, my, 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 my cousin moved in with Gabby and I. Bought him a Bible. Man, he began reading the Word of God. Began going to church. And he grew up in church. Going to church and everything, going to church and everything. His son eventually got out of the hospital and his wife divorced him. The minute his wife divorced him, he left. He left, the, he did not read the Bible and left the church. And I told him, I said, Ricky, you cannot manipulate God. You can't use God to get what you want. You will come to God on his terms and not your terms. And folks, that's what we do too. I'll go back to God as long as He meets my needs, as long as He satisfies me, as long as He takes care 
of me. You know what God wanted? He wanted their devotion. He wanted their total devotion to Him. What's the significance of this in our life? How does this relate to us? Listen, God is the source of all our happiness. God is the provider of all our needs. You may think that you do it. You may think that you provide your needs. Listen, God gave you the help and He gave you the ability to do what you do. The Bible says that every good and precious gift comes from the Father above. Everything comes from Him. And the tendency is for people to misunderstand where life, where prosperity, where meaning, and where hope for the future comes from. God wants us to know. He wants people to really believe that He is sufficient to provide for all their needs. If people cannot trust God to meet their needs, they won't turn to Him. They won't depend upon Him. They won't count upon Him. And Israel failed to understand that in those times. They forgot, they, they failed to understand where the blessings came from. They attributed it to themselves. They attributed it to other gods. They refused to recognize the Creator and the Sustainer of life. They refused to recognize God's goodness and God's grace and God's greatness. Listen, we do not use our time, our talent, and our tithe to manipulate God to get what we want. We use our time, we use our, time, uh, our talent, and our tithe to show God how much we love Him. God, thank You so much that You've given me all this. I want to show You my love for You. Not to earn His love, not to manipulate Him, but to be a testimony to Him of what we do. Third truth, we fall out of God's favor when we forget Him. Look at verse, well, we see this in verse 10. We won't get into all reading this, but but it, verse 10 states the reality of Israel's commitment to God. Uh, she really reveals her, her true colors. God's past judgment on them in verse 9 and verse 10 basically said, now I'm going to show the world what she's really like. Now I'm going to let everybody uh, show her. I mean, you can get the picture, uh, ladies, as, as you look at that. I'm going to expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. I'm going to expose her for what she really is. He's going to reveal her immorality. All other nations will know that Israel is no longer God's people. No one's going to save Israel. No one is going to deliver Israel. In verses 11 through 13, he begins to describing what's going to happen. And then finally in verse 13, he gets to the crux of the matter. At the end of verse 13, he says... She went after her lovers, but me, she forgot. She forgot. That doesn't seem so strong. We forget things all the time. Sometimes y'all forget if you're going up the stairs or down the stairs, right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. In order to understand this word forget, we've got to understand that the, the difference in Hebrew, the, the different word in Hebrew is the word know. Now, for us, it's the same for us, forget to know. It means the same thing. But that's where the similarity is in. For me, if I forget your birthday, it might just mean it slipped my mind. Okay? But in Hebrew, when you forget something, it means you no longer know. The word for know in Hebrew is the word used for sexual intimacy. 
It means to have a relationship, to have an intimate relationship. So when God is saying that Israel forgets me, He says, Israel no longer has an intimate relationship with me. That's what He's saying. So when you, you see that, that phrase, went after other loves, but me she forgot. Me she no longer has intimacy with. Me she no longer has a relationship with. God is saying that we are so prone in our lives to forget Him. It's no different today. You know why I know that? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not die but have eternal life. God loves us. But we forget that. We forget that by the way we live our lives, by the things we pursue, by the things we chase. We forget God's love. Maybe we take it for granted. We live our lives as if we do not know Him. Like we do not have a relationship with Him. We are chasing after those things that we long for, whatever it might be. We chase after the things that will bring us happiness, that will bring us satisfaction, that will bring us contentment. And we forget God loves us. And He wants an intimate relationship with us. He says, I want to be your all in all. I want to be sufficient for you. That you don't have to go searching anywhere else. You don't have to go seeking anywhere else. I will be the one that you need. Look at verse 14. He says, therefore. Three therefores in this passage. The other two times that therefore is used is talking about judgment, punishment. So we would expect the same thing in this passage. We'd expect that God, okay, God is about to render punishment. God is about to render judgment in, in this passage. But, but He doesn't do that. Instead of punishment, what do we see? We see God's grace. We see God's grace coming down upon the people. We see God's grace. It's unconditional. And whatever it takes, uh, takes, uh, takes, uh, takes to get Israel back, God's going to do it. Notice what He says in verses 14 uh, through 15. He says... Now I'm going to allure her. I will lead her. I will speak. I will give. I will make. Everything you see is God doing the action. God making the pursuit. It's not dependent upon Israel. It's not dependent upon them. God is taking the initiative to draw her back. God is doing everything in His power to restore Israel to a relationship with Him. He's actually using the language of seduction. He says, I'm going to make myself attractive once more to God. So in the midst of judgment, in the midst of punishment, God still loves His people and He wants to have a relationship with them. Even though they have fallen out of favor, He's not willing to give them up. He's not willing to do it. The writer of Hebrews says that God disciplines those that He loves. He disciplines us. A parent, you know what you're talking, you know what God, know what it's talking about. 
You discipline your children because you don't want them to make the same mistake over and over. So he disciplines those that are love. Uh, they don't deserve the discipline, but still he gives it. They don't deserve his love, but still he gives it. And the purpose is to bring them back. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. He disciplines us to, what, to bring us back into a relationship. To steer us in the direction that we are to go. Even though we may forget God, He does not forget us and He continues to love us in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our disobedience. He continues to love us. When will God bring them back? When is God going to bring Israel back? When He's going to bring them back and fold? Verses 16 and 18 mentions in that day. Verse 18, in that day. It's a future day. It's something that's going to happen in the future. It had not happened at the time of Hosea's writing, but someday it would happen. In that day, it points to a future date. Now, we have the benefit of the entire reading of God's Word. When did that happen? When did it happen? You want me to tell you when it happened? God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. While we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. He goes on and talks about the description of that final restoration in verses 17 and 18. Look at what he says. I will remove the names of the bells from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. And that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. And then in verse 19 he says, and she will be my bride forever. She will be my bride forever. Then in verse 23 we finally see that God gets the response that he's always been looking for. In verse 23, and the people will say, you are my God. You are my God. That's what he's always wanted. He loved them so dearly, and he put them through punishment. He put them through discipline to bring them to the point when they finally say, okay, God, you are my God. You are the one through all the adversities and through all the oppositions that, that, has been, that had happened, God receives His reward from the people. Total devotion to Him. These words are fulfilled when Isaiah and Paul himself wrote, in that day, in that time, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. A time will come. Listen. No one goes so far in sin that he is beyond the grace of God. No one. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you've ever done that will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. He seeks you. He longs for you. He reaches out for you. God is constantly pursuing you with a love that is unending. That's why He puts, puts people in our hearts to reach them. I believe that's why God leaves churches behind. 
in this world. Why? To pursue those that God loves. To chase after those that God loves. I want you to know something, my friends. He loves Waco, Texas. And He loves all the people that live around Waco, Texas. All the people that live around us. And He's left us here right smack dab in the middle of them to do what? To tell them that God loves them. He has not abandoned them. He has not deserted them. And He is more than adequate to meet all their needs if they will come to Him. If they will come to Him. My question for you is do you truly believe that? Don't you answer that. Don't you answer that unless you are willing to say, what am I going to do about it? Because I don't need lip service. Somebody was telling me today, that uh, this past week, that when somebody talks to me, they said, well, they just, tell you what, they just tell you what they think you want to hear. I said, no, I want to hear the truth is what I want to hear. I want to hear the truth. Do you believe that God leaves us, puts us here so that we can reach out to a world that is in desperate need of the gospel? Because if you don't believe that, then why are you here? Why are you here? God puts in our hearts concern for the lost, concern for the wayward sheep for that son or that daughter who has wandered from truth. Every religion in the world is all about man seeking God, man seeking God, man seeking God. Only in Christianity do we find God seeking man. Only in Christianity. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now right before that he says the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, I'm going to meddle just for a few minutes. Are you here to be served or are you here to serve? Are you here to be served or are you here to serve? Because if you're here to be served, guess what? You don't look like Jesus. Jesus said, He came to give His life as a ransom for many. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Are you willing to give your life so that others might have life? Are you willing to give up your comfort your security, your traditions, and everything you hold dear in your heart so that others might come to know Jesus. Until you're willing to do that, you don't look like Jesus. Am I being too hard? What did it cost Jesus? What did it cost Jesus to bring you into his kingdom? It cost his life. It cost him his life so that the world might know how much God loves them. 
And we sit around in our churches and argue about colors of carpet and whether we have a coffee bar, whether we have a choir, whether we have Sunday school, whether we wear coats, whether we wear ties, whether the pastor wears a shirt tail in, shirt tail out. I'm being facetious. Uh, we, we worry about those type of things. Are my needs being met? Am I being satisfied? Am I being happy? And the whole time God says, it's not about you, it's about me. It's about me. It's just about being my people. My people. Reaching out to those who are lost and in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God says, I've given you everything. I've given you everything for you to use for my kingdom and for my work and for my purpose. Not for you. Not for you. God has lavished on us greatly. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. What are we going to do about it? How will we respond? How will we respond to reach the people that Jesus loves? Listen, we can fall out of the favor of God. But it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. God does love you. And he loves you so much that he died for you so that you might have life abundantly. What's the least you can do for him? I give you my all in all. But whatever it is you need from me, I give it to you. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, God, I, I understand. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to be intimate with you once again. Restore unto me. Restore unto me. Restore unto me, God, the joy of your salvation. Listen, folks, it ain't your salvation. It's his salvation. He's the one who saves you. You do not save yourself. He saves you. That's why his Lord... Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, that intimacy, that relationship that I long for. God, give me that again. Give me that again. Oh, it's my hope and my prayer and my desire. Please hear me on this. That we were so fall, we were so fall passionately in love with Jesus. That all we want to do is serve him and obey him with our dying breath. Until they close the last door on our life. And we hear, well done, well done, good and faith, not, not well thought of, not well intentioned, not well pretended, well done, good and faithful servant. In a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. Give you an opportunity to respond to God's word from Hosea. God's amazing love. You know what's so amazing to me? That God loves a sinner like me. That God loves a wretch like me. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see amazing grace. Would you stand with me?
as I lead us in a time of prayer. Father, we gather before you recognizing, Lord, that that, Father, we may be saved by grace. But, Father, we often do not reflect that in the way we live our lives. We know, Father, that your love is amazing. And, Father, in spite of what we do, in spite of what we say, and in spite, Father, the way we may live our lives, and, Father, the things that we pursue, your love for us never lets go. Oh, God, would you draw us close to your side again? Would you pull us, Father, in close to your breast? Look in our face and tell us that you love us and that you've been waiting for us to return to you. Father, forgive us for the times that we stray away. We put jobs, we put businesses, we put families, we put education, we put leisure, we put fun, we put money, Father, above our relationship with you. God, help us to fall passionately in love with you once again. Father, help us to be more like Jesus who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, He gave His life as a ransom for many. God, are we willing? Help us, Lord, to be willing to do whatever we can, however it needs to be done, whenever it needs to be done, Father, so that others might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. Oh, God. Please help us, Lord, to take away the mask. Lord, that we will quit pretending to be something we're not. God, remove any pride that may exist within us, any arrogance, Father, that we hold on to. Father, any apathy or any complacency, any judgmental spirit that, Father, dwells within us. Oh, God, take them away. Cleanse us, Father. Wash us white as snow. Take away the iniquities. Father, remove our tendencies, God, to roam, to look elsewhere, to pursue other gods, which in reality are not really gods. Touch lives this morning, Father however you see fit. Return us, Father, to our first love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.